I tell you, this is going to be an interesting service to, message today because I cannot speak at all. So you all pray for me that I get the words right. <laughs> because, because <laughs> my tongue is getting tied up really good today. So, yes, Lord, bless their hearing. <laughs> Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to present your message. Lord, help my tongue speak the right words, and Lord, help others to hear the right words, whether I say them right or not. That your spirit will be leading, and Lord, we just thank you for your, this wonderful day in your Son's name. Amen. First Timothy chapter one, verse eighteen. This charge I commit unto you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which, which went before you, that you by them might war a good warfare, holding faith and, and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwrecked. That's what we're going to look at, is Paul's exhortation to Timothy, but also to us. And most of what, you know, he's exhorting Timothy because Timothy is being groomed to be a pastor, but, you know, we have a reason to go out and serve God as well. So we need to be taking and paying attention to this. He first tells Timothy that you have a prophecy over you. And I want to think about this. The word prophecy, uh, when we hear the word prophecy, what is the very first thing we usually think about? Somebody telling us what the future is. Okay. And that is one aspect of what the word prophecy means in the Bible. And I'm going to read you what the definition is, and then we'll try to break that definition down a little bit. It's a discourse emanating from divine inspiration and declaring the purposes of God, whether by reproving and admonishing the wicked or comforting the afflicted or revealing things hidden. Basically, in a very simple sentence, it means speaking with God's authority. Okay, Okay, we'll make it a very simple sentence for you. But it really is, comes from God. Okay, God speaks to us and then we speak it out. When you're teaching, if you're teaching a good message, God is giving you the message and you're giving that message back out. When you're a parent raising your children by godly standards, you're taking God's word, his authority, you're speaking with his authority to your children. And I've shared with you, when my dad was raising me, I loved the fact that he was a Christian, but boy, when he started to give me advice and correction, it was always, let's see what the Bible says. And as a teenager, you know, teenagers like to argue with their parents, but you know, when he's going and you want to follow the Bible, and he says, this is what the Bible says, (laughs) it kind of took away any arguments. And this is really what comes to, now, I'm not saying that everybody stops arguing when you say this is what the Bible says. Because usually you'll get people say, but my situation is this. Well, I'm going to tell you one thing. God doesn't care what our situation is. No matter what I try to do to say, God, uh, you just don't know my situation. If you really knew my situation, you would have rewritten this portion. And God says, no, I've written what I've written. So we need to learn to be submitted to God's word. Okay, and this is the first most important thing we have to do. If God says it in the scriptures... Our job as believers is to believe it, number one, and that means to put all trust in it and do it. Now, that doing is the hard part. The believing can be hard, but the actual doing is the the real hard part. And here, Paul says, you've had a prophecy on your life. Your parents raised you well. You can handle the word of God, and, and the church put a prophecy on you. 
And I added to that prophecy that you would be a leader. God loves his people. Let's even make this further. God doesn't just love his people. He loves the world. Now, he has a little special love for us because we have chosen to follow him, and that draws him to us. But John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Okay. And that was when we were his enemies. He gave Jesus to us when we were his enemies. And Paul says, Timothy, you have this gift. You have a gift upon you. Have you ever had somebody tell you in a church, I really think you could do such and such, a job in the church? They might just be listening to God. You know, first time I was told that, I was, there was you. I think you have a gift to teach. You should be teaching Sunday school. And I was very young, very naive. I was 14 years old, and I decided, okay, I'll give it a try. I don't, I don't see myself doing that. I have been teaching ever since. <laughs> So ju just a few years <laughs> that I've been teaching. But, you know, if that person hadn't come up and said, I see something in you, God shows me something in you, I probably never would have started teaching. You know, the encouragement, the building up, the edification, we need those things. We need to do that to one another. Now, that doesn't mean go tell people they should be doing things just for the sake of doing it. But if you really hear God saying something to you, and you really feel the, the gumption to do it, do it. Jeremiah, when he's a young prophet, goes, he kept getting into trouble and he said, God, I'm not speaking you for, for, for you anymore because every time I speak, <laughs> bad things happen and nobody listens. The next verse says, the word of God burned in my mouth and I could not help but speak. There are times when the word of God is going to burn in your mouth. The testimony that you're supposed to speak is going to burn in your mouth. And if you don't say it, guilt for not saying it is going to be very strong because you're going to go, I should have spoken. Be very aware to step out in faith and say things. You know, say things in faith that say, God, you can speak. Because you have, if you're his child, you have God living in you. Okay, and he will speak out of you. And this is what prophecy really is, to speak with the authority of God. Just make sure that whatever you say is biblical. All right? If it's not squared up to the Bible, it didn't come from God. Okay, and this is very important. If it doesn't square up to Scripture, it is not from God. And, you know, and I've shared with you many times over my lifetime, I've had somebody go up and say, I'm thinking about getting married to this person. They're not a Christian, but I know God is telling me to get married to them. And my answer is, no, he is not. Okay, I don't even have to think about that decision because God says do not be unequally yoked okay when the Bible says something you can speak with great authority no that is not what God's telling you to do okay uh, it's a very simple simple process then he said in here that was made before you that you might war a good warfare you know and this is kind of an interesting thing Timothy has been told that you're going to lead, because the first war is a lead, the leading of warfare, going out with it, leading the expedition, expedi expedition. Oh expedition. <laughs> we'll get the right out. Huh? <laughs> Tell you, it's going to be a fun day. I can't speak today. <laughs> the second word literally is just to make war. 
So in Timothy's case, he was told you were going to lead people into spiritual warfare. And we need to be aware, and we've said this before, we are in spiritual warfare every day. Every day we are in spiritual warfare. A battle for our minds, a battle for our emotions, a battle for how we are going to live. And we have a very serious problem because we start out having a desire to be on the wrong side because of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So we have a bad starting place. We desire to be on the wrong side in our flesh and can be crucified. And if I start my day with God, I can control that. I can put on the armor of God. I can start my day with prayer. I can start my day with reading. I can say, God, I want to be focused on you. Crucify my flesh. Let me live the way you want me to live today and crucify our desires. And then after we've crucified our desires, we have an enemy out there who wants to stop us from serving God. And if you start your day that way, the enemy will pay attention to you. <laughs> you know, and this is something we have to be very careful of. God wants us to walk with him, and the way we do that is by walking with him. And how do we walk with him? We start our day with him. Okay, David all through the psalm says, early in the morning I will call on you. Early in the morning I will seek your name. And, you know, I'm not going to tell you you must go to God early in the morning. But if you go to God in the evening, and how many times have you done this? You've gone to God in the evening. And all of a sudden when you go to God in the evening and you start reading your Bible, you go, uh, I needed these verses today. <laughs> you know, I needed these for the whole day. We need something that will help us fight this battle. I think one of the things we see when we get to heaven is God's going to show us the spiritual battles that were going on around us. And it's a good thing he doesn't show it to us now because we'd be scared silly to see the spiritual battles that are going on around us. We want to be so careful about this. Always remember you're in battle because in real warfare, the time you get hurt is when you forget you're in battle. The guy takes his helmet off because he's hot in the middle of the battlefield and ends up with a bullet between the eyes or through, the, through between the ears because he forgot that he was in battle. Now you can get hurt in battle anyway, but you really get, put yourself in danger when you forget that you're in battle. You forget to keep an eye out. And most of us as Christians fall when we forget we're in battle. Oh, God, I can just take it easy today. I really don't need anything because it's been nice and calm as we take the bullet between the eyes and end up on the sideline, hurt. And I don't know about you, but I've seen so many people who tell me, I used to be a Christian. I used to be a Christian. Well, you either are a Christian or you're not a Christian. There's no in-between. You're either one of his children with eternal life or you're not a child of his with eternal life. No in-between. Why? Because Christianity is not what we do. It's who we are. Christ comes in us, indwells us, and we become his child. And God does not throw away his children. So we want to keep that in mind as we look at this. Timothy has this special call. And he says in verse 19, holding the faith and good conscience. Holding, grabbing hold of. And this word literally is to hold on to as if your life depended on it. This is you holding on to the end of the rope that's over a cliff. You are motivated to hold on to that rope. Because it's 800 feet down if you let go of this rope. How hard are you going to hold that rope? How much are you going to care whether your muscles are getting sore or tired 
You're going to hold on to that rope until you literally cannot hold to the rope. And Timothy's told, hold on to that faith. What faith? The conviction of Jesus Christ dying for our sins and keeping us. How much can we keep if we really hold on to the conviction of the true Christianity? We got to think about this. So many people, you know, and this was very popular in the 70s. The witnessing thing in the 70s and 80s was try Jesus, he'll fix your life. Oh, hey, uh, Jesus is the newest, greatest article out, just try it, a 90 day guarantee. No, that is not Jesus. Jesus doesn't have a 60, 30 day guarantee, a 60 day guarantee, a 90 day guarantee. He says, I am going to do it. You either want me or you don't want me. There's no trying Jesus. He either is your savior or he is not your savior. If he's your savior, that means you are trusting your whole life to him. You are ready to do what he says and do what he asks you to do. That's not going to be something you do perfectly from the beginning. It won't be something you do perfectly after three or four decades of living with him. But you should be getting better each year. It should be getting easier to follow him each year. And if you're still, and I've said this so many times, if you're in the still same place you today that you were 10, 20 years ago, you need to evaluate your relationship with Jesus. Because if you're still in that same place, there's something wrong. Just as if you had a baby in diapers on a bottle, and they're 20 years old, still in diapers on a bottle, you would have a problem. Okay, you probably have the state taking your child away from you if that was the case, but you, know, but you understand what I'm saying. That, person, that individual would have a huge problem, and yet we've got in churches people who are supposed to Christian, be Christians that are 20, 30 years old, sucking on a bottle, pooping their diapers, and needing to be changed and having their held all the time. And that's, God says, that is not what I want for my children. If they're, if they're my children, I'm indwelling them, and they're going to grow. They're going to grow. Holding fast the faith. God, I don't always understand it, but you are true. And having a good conscience. Now, conscience is something really interesting because we all have a conscience. We have an internal thing that says, this is right, this is wrong. And a lot of people will try to deny it. We have our schools and education system telling us, well, you're just a blank slate and you don't have no right or wrong until somebody teaches you. Well, I don't know about you, but I've, I raised four kids in a, and a couple of, and helped babysit a lot of kids. And every time they get told no, you'd watch that little baby, not even able to talk, looking at you and saying, are you watching? Uh, I'm going to touch this. What are you going to do about it? Okay. Uh, they know what's right and wrong. Out at the prison, those prisoners know what's right and wrong. They may not live by what's right and wrong, but they know what's right and wrong. It's internal in us. And having said that there is a right or wrong means that there is somebody who tells us what's right and wrong. And that's God. He sets a standard of what is right, what is wrong. And the word of God tells us what helps us to understand his, his standards. And his rules do not come capriciously. That means he doesn't just make them up. When God gave us the Ten Commandments, he wasn't flipping a coin. I love Bill Tackett in the Truth Project. He talks about God saying, okay, murder, is it right or bad? Flip the coin. Oh, murder's wrong. <laughs> you know, lying, good or bad, flipping a coin. You know, that's not how the Ten Commandments came about. God says, I cannot lie, therefore lying is wrong. I cannot steal, therefore stealing is wrong. 
God's heart goes into the commandments. When he indwells us, we will keep the commandments because he lives out of us. And it's not us sitting there striving to say, oh man, what should I do today? I gotta, I've got to, oh my God, I'm so worried about doing something wrong. No, God lives in you and all of a sudden he starts coming out. And the more of yourself you give to him, the more he's going to come out. And I don't know how many of you have met somebody that you just know, that person's a Christian. I feel God coming out of that person. Okay. Now, if somebody tells me they're a Christian and I don't feel God coming out of them, I'm not going to say they're not a Christian. But, you know, there's a handful of people that I know when they say they're a Christian, I'm going, yeah, I, I know you have God in you. I know you have God in you. The rest, eh, sure, you know, I'm going to watch your life and see. I'm going to watch your life. I'm still not going to make a judgment because you may be a baby Christian just learning, but I'm going to watch and say, well, maybe, maybe not. But, you know, we have some people that you just know they love you. It doesn't matter what you do. They're going to love you. They're going to forgive you. They're going to be kind to you. God comes out of them. And you can feel his presence, keeping that consciousness. And, you know, we have a standard. God gives us a standard. We need to get to know God so we know his standard. But, you know, Satan in the world has a standard also. Satan's standard is anything God says is the, is the opposite of anything God says. We are bombarded in our world system by Satan's standards of things. You know, uh, God says, do not steal. And people go, ah, you can borrow. It's only something, you know, you're taking it from the big company. They won't, they won't ever miss it. God says, don't tell a lie. And we've talked about this in the, in the Pentateuch. God says that a lie is when you don't tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Okay, and we've talked about this. If you go to court with a lawyer and, they, and you're going to promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, your lawyer will tell you to do answer just what they ask you and say no more. We are in violation of our oath when we go in as a witness, when we follow their instructions, and every lawyer will tell you the same thing. Do not say more than you're asked to say, and we are lying to what we're promising to say when we take that oath on the Bible, because that oath is based on God's truth, on what truth is, and the lawyers want you to play the law, the law game. Okay, Satan's way of thinking, Satan's way of doing things. I was going to, supposed to go to court one time as, a, as the defendant, and it was a case that I didn't have to be there. It was a, a ticket. My lawyer talked to him, and he said, you do not come. He told me not to come because he knew that I would say something because I was so truthful, and I go, and he goes, you, got, you can't say that. I'm going, it's the truth. He goes, but you can't say that. I'm going, well, I don't know what to tell you. If I come and they ask me, I'm telling them this because my standard was I'm going to tell the truth. God tells us you shall not murder. Oh, how, much, how big a problem is that in our day and age? We have people all over the place ab aborting and murdering their babies. We have this whole compassion euthanasia of murdering senior citizens because they're going to cost too much money. We've got a whole group now coming out that if you're just really sick and don't want to live anymore, you should have the right to die. God says, don't, don't murder. Satan has this whole plethora of things that you can do that are murder. What are we holding on to? What are we keeping? Great question when people are dating is how close can I do things before I cross the line into fornication? You know, 
Have you ever thought about this? You know, how close can I come before I cross the line, God? We all have done it in something, somewhere, somehow. God, how close can I get before I've crossed into that line of sin? You know, if we're really holding fast to the truth and holding fast to a good conscience, we're going, God, how far can I stay away from that? How far can I stay away from the lie, from murder, from adultery, from fornication? Then you take Jesus' answer to the people, if you thought the thought, you're guilty of it. If you're angry at a brother without cause, you're guilty of murder. Jesus intensified the laws and said, I don't even care if you do it. If you're thinking it, you're guilty. That is why we have to have God in us. That's why we have to bring every thought into captivity. Saying, God, help me to put these thoughts into captivity. Give me something from your word to put against it. This is why we practice learning these memory verses that we practice. Because you need these verses. When things seem to be going wrong in your life, you need to know God is sovereign. God is in control. Nothing that happens in your life is something that surprises God. When you're having what seems like a hard time, you remember Romans 8.28, for all things work together for good for those who are called according to the purpose of God. And say, God, I don't understand it, but you say good's going to come from it. And as I say so often, it doesn't say for my good. It says good. And that is God's good. God may have a different plan than you do. He may say, I'm going to put you through lots of pain so other people can watch the way you live through my strength. Now, if you're one of those that have been chosen to, to live the, the, by, in pain for, to reveal his strength, I'm sorry for you, but God's got a plan. And there's lots of rewards. There's a lot of reward in heaven, which is our ultimate reward anyway. And Paul, remember, he said, I choose to praise God for these light afflictions that have come my way. And I love Paul's definition of light affliction. Beatings, shipwrecks, being chased out of town, being stoned, uh, being thrown into prison. You know, those were light, light afflictions. Uh, how many of us, if all those things were happening to us, would say those were light afflictions? You know, why could he say they were light afflictions? Because he goes on to say, compared to the glory that awaits in heaven. His attitude was right. God, I may be going through what seems like hell down here on earth, but it's just going to make glory all that much of a greater blessing. What is our attitude toward things? Do we hold a biblical attitude toward what goes on in our life? Or are we buying into the lies of Satan? And oh, how easy it is to buy into the lies of Satan. How many of you have ever been talking to a friend telling you about how bad their marriage is and the first words out of your mouth is you should leave that person? It gets said often. It gets said often instead of, you know what, we need to pray about that because God says we need to work this out. That should be the right idea. And I'm going to say, I hear, see a lot of people saying, no, I'd never do that, but I can guarantee I've heard that over and over from Christians. Because if you, may, if you paint a bad enough picture... You know, I'm being, I'm being, you know, uh, ignored every single day. They haven't been home in three weeks, and they've just seemed like they've abandoned me. And you go on and on and on and on and on with the story. And people go, well, you obviously have the case where you should be doing this. How did we get so many laws created for abortion? They gave us a great big case of what supposedly was rape. Made it a huge story how she was going to be harmed by her parents and her, all this. And everybody goes, oh, we need to make sure this person gets taken care of. 
It's easy. It's easy to justify what we do. How many times have you gone into sin and justified what you're doing? Don't, don't shake your heads. Yes or no. I don't want to raise your hand. Because we all do that. Yeah, we're really good at it. And this is what it says. We need to hold on to God's word. We need to so be absolutely sure that God is true no matter what. No matter how bad my situation is or your situation is or my friend's situation is, God's word is true. If you don't hold on to his word being true, then you might as well go believe something else. And I've said this many times. If every word in this Bible is not true, every statement in this word is not true, I might as well throw it away and live some other life. Because if I have to pick and choose what's true and what's not true, I'm in trouble. It must be true. And there's a lot of pastors and a lot of, a lot of training that says that statement is wrong. And I'm going to tell you, it's right. If this word is not true, how do I decide what's true and what's not true? What parts do I throw away? What parts do I keep? I have to stand 100% on God's word or I'm not going to stand on it. Because it's not worth standing on. I don't, if it's not 100% true, I don't know what to stand on and what not to stand on. It must be true. And if it's true, we must live as if it's true. And say, God, I am going to stand up for what you say is true. Very important. Because this is where great problems have happened. In the 1800s, a, pro a big controversy came up because Darwin wrote the book, The Descent of Man, okay, all about evolution. And the church was trying to figure out how do we justify this scientific book that contradicts Christianity. And instead of trusting in God's word, they came up with a wonderful idea that's still taught today but in a lot of churches called the gap theory. The sum, the between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 2-1-2, there were millions of years where death, disease, and destruction existed. Only one problem with that. Death, disease, and destruction came because of the fall of man and sin. How can you have death, de death disease, and destruction before you have the fall of man? So to try to fit what they thought was scientific theory or scientific fact, which is a theory, and it's not even a theory. It's, it's, it has no basis in science whatsoever. They tried to find a place they could squeeze it into the Bible. And in doing so, destroyed every other doctrine in the Bible. If you have death, disease, and destruction before man, then that means Adam and Eve weren't the first ones to sin. And they're the, the founders of the entire human race. Do you understand the problems that you have when you start deviating from the word of God? When you make an exception one place and say, well, maybe this part isn't true, it will have impacts on every other part. The Word of God is an integrated book that so ties together that if you break one thread on it, it the whole thing would fall apart. It's like pulling a thread on a garment, and all of a sudden, a couple days later, it's all unraveled in that area, and that, that unraveling gets bigger and bigger and bigger. We've got to be careful not to try to unravel the Word of God. Now, it's not going to unravel, but in your mind, you might be able to make it unravel. It's never going to unravel. But you can start saying, well, this isn't true, and pulling it out and unraveling the whole thing. The whole world system is against the word. God gives us truth, and Satan says, I've got a whole bunch. I've got a, I've got a plethora of different, uh, different truths for you. Take your pick on which one you want. 
God says there's one way to heaven, through Jesus Christ and him alone. He came to this world to die for our sins so that we could go to heaven. Satan says, okay, well, you know, hey, there's no God anyway, so you don't have to worry about it. Uh, you know, everybody who's ever lived is so loved by God, they're all going to heaven. If you do enough good than bad, you'll go to heaven, and he gives you a whole bunch. You know, we'll, we'll, you get reincarnated so many times until you finally get it right, you can go to heaven. Uh, you know, over and over, he gives us a whole bunch of different sins and says, here's what God says, Jesus is the only way, and he throws out a whole slew of lies to you. And this is true of everything that God has. The truth is out there, and Satan says, hey, let me give you a whole smorgasbord of lies, and you can pick the one you like. And how many times do we fall for it? We fall for the lies so often. And it's really easy. If you watch TV, you're feeding your mind with lies all day long, all night long, however long it is that you watch TV, you're filling your mind with Satan's lies. And then you go three weeks later and you're saying something, you go, where in the world did that come from? The, movie, the show that you watched three weeks ago? That was the same situation and the same answer they gave? We need God. And I'm not saying it's all bad, but you know, we need to be careful what we're feeding our minds with. You know, what songs do we listen to? You know, I used to love the 50s, 60s love songs. Have nothing to do with love or anything, but they were, they were cute, they were funny. But you know how many people had their minds poisoned on what love was supposed to be? I'm going to fall in love and we're going to have this wonderful relationship and it's going to last for the rest of our existence just because our feelings keep us there. Oh, what a lie we've got into. And then we get, get married on that kind of love and then the five years later we're going, well, who is this person I got, that, I, that I got married to? You know, I don't love this person. And you're right, you, never, you, didn't, you don't love them and you never did. Because love is a choice. But we buy into the lies of Satan. And we make so many decisions based on those lies. We need to get into God's word and say, God, I need you to help me learn to think with you. And the other side of the coin is, you know, how many times has somebody come to somebody like myself? They've messed up their life with all the lies of Satan and go, now how can I get it right? And I go, well, for, for the first thing we're doing is we start making God's decisions. And realize that there's going to be consequences for all the bad decisions that you had. And that's the sad thing about it. When we sin, there are consequences. And those consequences may last a long time. Even if you become a Christian, or if you sin as a Christian, those consequences can last a long time. Somebody who decides to have a one-night stand, it's the only time they've ever done it, and they end up with AIDS. That's a long-term consequence for one sin. Or a young woman who goes out to party on prom night and ends up getting pregnant. A long-term consequence for one sin. Sin has consequences that don't necessarily go away. And we'll sometimes we'll think, well, I can handle the consequences, God. I, I've, I've, I've calculated how, what I'm going to pay for. I'm going to go out to the bar and I'm going to get drunk and I'm, I'm willing to put up with the, the hangover tomorrow. All right, well, what about the other things that could happen? You know, all the other things that could happen, and we're not going to go into it all. Wrapping your tree around a, your car around a tree. Wrapping your tree around a car, yes. <laughs> Wrapping your car around the tree, uh, you know, going out and having a good time and getting a sexually transmitted disease or getting in trouble. Uh, killing somebody who's walking across the street. All the things that could happen. And we just calculated, well, I'm willing to put up with the hangover. And God says, you haven't even counted all the cost. 
And I use that one because it's easy to calculate the, the, the consequences, other unintended consequences. Everything we do can have unintended consequences. How many of you have ever told a lie? Don't raise your hands. <laughs> yeah. And then you have to figure out, okay, what did I tell this person? Or they come up to you two weeks later and how are you doing after such and such? And you're thinking, <laughs> what are you talking about? And they, well, didn't you have that, that sick aunt or something too? Oh, yeah. <laughs> As it's very obvious that you did not have a sick aunt that they're, you know, that, that they're talking about. You know, minor consequence? Yes, but you've just made yourself a liar in front of that person consequence and sometimes they could be serious consequences always remember sin has consequence and sometimes those consequences can be long-term it is always better to do what God God said and, and what he says always follow him always seek after him because that is what's important to just seek him look at what God says want to follow him Hold on to his word. Hold on to his truth. Look at things from his biblical world view. It takes a lot of time. It takes discipline. It takes studying the word. It takes coming to church and hearing pastors. It comes to listening to other good speakers. But make sure they're good speakers. If you're going to get on the radio and the TV, make sure that who you're listening to is a good teacher. Because I'm going to tell you, there's lots of bad teachers on both. Okay? Especially TV has a really plethora of bad teachers. Radio has bad teachers, but I would trust radio a lot faster. There's a, there's a couple good pastors on the, on the TV, and I've heard a couple of them, but I've also heard a lot of bad ones. Be careful what you listen to. Be careful of who, you, who you're being taught by, because they'll bind you up. They'll take you into the Satan's ways just as easy. And as I've said over and over, I want good Bereans in our church. I want you guys researching what I say because I don't want you to just believe it because I said it. Because I could get wrong too. There could be places where I'm wrong and I want you to get into the word of God and say, this is what it says. And be very careful about that. Look at God's word. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity we have to come. Lord, if there's anybody in this room or listening on the internet that does not know you, that today they will make a decision that they want to be your child. They will recognize that they are a sinner living according to the lies of this world and ask you to come in their life and repent from their sins and turn to you. And Lord, if they do that, that they will come talk to somebody and say, I've just accepted Jesus. Can you help me grow? And Lord, we thank you for that. We ask you to go with us as we do our life that you will give us opportunities to share, that you will give us opportunities to grow with you. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.